Matthew Britt. Hey Matt, it's Jamie. I've been thinking about it. It's time for cookbooks part two. And this time, I think we should do top five, your go-to or your top five food philosophy. I know, I'll let you know uh, what the topic is tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. All right, see you then. Bye. Today's episode of the Culinary Now podcast is brought to you by Forge to Table. Forge to Table offers handmade Japanese-style knives at an affordable price. Forge to Table was started by J.Wu alumnus Noah Rosen in the pursuit of the perfect knife for culinary students, home cooks, and chefs alike. Their flagship blade, the 8-inch Gyoto Chef's Knife, is a cult favorite among professional kitchens and me. Insert personal experience here. Jamie, you have any uh, personal takes on uh, Forge to Table knives? Yeah, I do. So lately I've been doing a lot of cooking and baking at home. I've been making potato gnocchi, biscuits, scones. And one of the tools that I found super helpful in all of this is actually their bench knife. So it's a bench scraper, but it has a knife edge on it. So when I'm making something like scones, I can chop my chocolate with the same bench knife that I've been using to cut in my butter. So I've been really, really loving that. It's got a nice wooden handle. It has that nice sharp blade, which makes cleaning up all of the flour on my counter really easy. Yeah, I'm obsessed with their bench knife. It, it is it is a fantastic touch that they do. Um, it doesn't get dull quickly, but when it does start to kind of lose its its initial edge, um, I actually find, you know, again, I have like a gaggle of children. I find that my two and a half year old uses it to practice cutting. It's a kind of a safer introduction than just having a, a, a knife in their hand. So I, I use it for her to cut and to clean. And it's, it's a great um, sort of tool for them as well, which is kind of different, but also great. Uh, anyway, Forge the Table knives are available at JWU's student store or head to forgetable.com to use the code CULINARYNOW, that's all caps, C-U-L-I-N-A-R-Y-N-O-W, for 10% off your purchase. Uh, by the way, Forge the Table wants all the listeners of the Culinary Now podcast to go for it, Jamie. Have, have a knife day. There you go. So welcome to the Culinary Now podcast. Uh, you just heard a voicemail that was left to me by uh, my colleague and co-host Jamie. And mm-hmm. uh, we're going to start this episode uh, with the gauntlet being thrown down for cookbooks number two. So how are you, Jamie? <laughs> I'm good. I am really excited about this episode. I, so I love like, cookbooks. So I'm oh so glad that, that you're here with me and we're going to do this again. I was just saying, like, sometimes, like, just when it's me and you, I, I, I love that because it's fun. It's almost like a little, like, all our episodes are fun, but this is just a little bit more, like, winging it, and I just, I freaking love that. I love it. <laughs> all right, so, how, so recap for those who are listening and maybe, uh, you know, were confused about what the voicemail was at the beginning. Recap what the what the challenge is for today, and, uh, and then let me know if you want to start or I want to start, and the order. And remember, this is your game, so you set the rules. Okay. All right. So uh, if you haven't listened yet, we did a, another cookbook episode, cookbook, our first cookbook episode, and those were more of our most influential throughout our career books. So they might be a little bit older or books that were were just coming on the scene when we were in school and really influenced our styles. So today I wanted to take it to something a little bit more current and 
For me, I want to list my top five plated dessert inspiration books because that's my specialty. That's kind of the area I focus on. So I think um, we want to go kind of like that route. I love it. I love it. And like the, the first episode, you were right. It's, it's almost like things that not only influenced us, but almost resources that we feel like students, if they're looking to sort of gain a little bit of insight into certain areas, might be good resources. Now, I'm going to take, um, you know, mine might not be as focused, my top five today might not be as focused as, you know, yours is with plated desserts, because uh, for those who know me, I, I am like the quintessential all over the place cook like I just I focus on so many different things like I definitely don't have a specialty um anymore I guess if you if you asked me this six or seven years ago like they would have been all Latin American books because that was the world I lived in that was the type of cuisine that the restaurant that I ran um focused on so they would have been it would have been extremely focused but now as an educator and sort of as that quote-unquote like generalist at Johnson and Wales I, I kind of I'm just like a like a hot mess, but in, in, in the best way possible, hopefully. I don't know. So my books are going to be a little bit all over the place, but they're just books that I continue to go back to because I friggin' love them. And I, and I, and I use them as inspiration, not only in my own cooking, but also in my curriculum and my, my courses. And uh, yeah, I'm just super excited. Okay. Yeah. Me too. So uh, why don't you start us off with your, with your first book? Uh, Okay, um, so I'm going to go with classic, classic book, uh, and this was influenced, it just popped into my head uh, and, and remind me about this because, you know, in a recent, another episode that we did, we were really talking about seasonal cooking, and, mm-hmm. and, and one book that's influenced me, you know, for years, and, and this is partially because I just respect the hell out of this guy, um, and I'm also, you know, sort of a DC... Uh, connection with the with the restaurant, and I appreciate this. And it's an old book, but it's cooking um, cooking with the seasons by Jean Louis Peladen. And you know, if you want to look at like old school classic mentors, like you know, you could throw out Keller or Trotter, or you know, you could throw out uh, Alice Waters or people that really, in some way, shaped the way you cook. Like Jean Louis did that for me, and again, there's a DC connection for me. Like some of the people that I directly worked under were working with him uh, in the 70s and 80s uh, at the Watergate Hotel, and you know his just approach to good ingredients, seasonal ingredients, simplistic cooking. Now the book itself is very dated, and it's you know a lot of black glass and a lot of weird sort of presentations mm-hmm. that might not be sort of trending today, but if you can read into the nuances of the book, uh, it really just speaks about letting the ingredients shine. And I think that that's something that, you know, I put it at number five, it could easily be number one, but I use it as sort of the umbrella for everything else that I'm going to talk about, which is more some ingredient specific, some sort of philosophy specific, but definitely sort of an umbrella for just cooking a little bit simpler, focusing on the ingredients and not overthinking it or making it too complicated, which I think a lot of chefs uh, fall victim to at, at sometimes is, is overthinking things. Yeah, I, I agree. I love letting ingredients and flavors kind of just shine. And I think seasonality is so important. Like I grew up in New England, as I know you did, and being able to have menus and food that is seasonal. And 
I think that really just showcases the the best version of the food that's possible. And that's something in all the restaurants I worked in, we were very seasonal with our menus as well. So I, I love that. I think that's a great one to start us off. All right, Jamie. So what's your number five of, you know, and I'm assuming this is going to be somewhat related to plated desserts. Oh yeah. I mean, there's not really an order here. So these are just five books they're in no particular order. But the first one I'm going to talk about is one of the first books I ever got. It's called Demolition Desserts, and it's by Elizabeth Faulkner. Um, Sounds destructive. Oh, man, really? That's I. Okay, I, I love her, so. No, yeah, I love she, her. she recently kind of switched over to more of that savory side, but um, she used to have a bakery called Citizen Cake, and this was, uh, I believe it's her first book. But I teach uh, neoclassic desserts is one of the classes that – that I teach. And that's all about taking classic desserts, breaking them down because Neo means new. So it's a new Mm -hmm. classic, a new take and a classic dessert, breaking them down, kind of deconstructing them. And that's what this book is all about. Um, So demolition desserts, it's really deconstructed. There's, you know, bananas foster in here. There's s'mores. There's all sorts of like really classic desserts, but she's put her own spin on them. And the plating's a little dated, but the idea of how she breaks down the dessert into the different components to give a new take on it is something that I really, really love about it. And I still find it very influential just to take a look back and see how she might break it up. Like even chocolate chip cookies are in here. And then the way that she goes about plating them and utilizing those in desserts is is really, really interesting. There's also some great comic book um artwork in here that makes this just a super fun read i I totally agree and the reason i I had that sort of reaction is it just reminded me and it was like when i was in college we went out to san francisco and we actually visited the the restaurant and it was Mm -hmm. just uh it was was inspiring and i I, I, again you know i have a a deep secret love for cupcakes like she actually has citizen cupcake too Mm -hmm. um which you know is one of my sort of go-tos whenever i'm on the west coast uh, so yeah, just a special spot for like that person and, and, and the work she's done. Uh, and, she, and I also just yeah. love San Francisco. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, me too. Um, and she's been at a couple of conferences I've been to, and she is just one of the most down to earth, like people that you could, that you could ever meet. Right. All right. So <laughs> this is tough. So you said there's no order for yours. There isn't, I'm, I'm, I'm frantically, again, now I know how you felt. I'm frantically trying to put these in order Tables have turned. Yeah, basically, a hundred percent. You know, I think that. Oh man. Um, Okay, so I, I, I'll, I'll just put this out there because I think that this book, it's, I don't know, you know, it's, it's weird. It's a very strange cookbook, and it's, it's a little dated. It's from two thousand six, but you know, I have, you know, an affinity. I love like offals. I love. odd parts of animals and I like cooking them and, and, and utilizing the whole animal, you know, as you can probably relate from my other cookbooks that I mentioned in, in cookbooks number one. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I am in love. Like I, one of my favorite ingredients of all time is foie gras. And I think that, you know, one of the people is one of the people that really has celebrated this throughout his entire career, maybe in an unhealthy way, but also in a friggin' awesome way is uh, Martin Picard and uh, up in Montreal and his, um, it's called the album. It's the Opie de Cochon cookbook. Um, and it's not just all foie gras, but it is like a level of casual decadence that like, if I could eat this way every day with no health ramifications, like, hmm. yes, please sign me up. I mean, there's everything from 
foie gras and, and, and lobster and, and, and just things that I love as a, as a, as an eater, but also as a cook. And they're done in an extremely sort of home style, uh, authentic and, and flavorful ways. And it's just really like, it's throwing everything out the window and just being like, I'm going to cook things that are going to be like incredibly flavorful. So this isn't necessarily, I mean, there's balance in this book, but it's not like nuanced balance. It's like, I'm going to have these intense flavors and I'm going to combine them so that when you put this in your mouth, it's like, boom, like, oh my God, this is like such the most unctuous thing I've ever had in my life. So I, I just think that it's, it's literally like one of the things that I go to all the time. Again, you talked about artwork. There's some awesome artwork in here as well. Mm-hmm. And it's just everything like foie gras pizza and, you know, oh my God, uh, just classic French onion soup, like things that I want to eat every day and say, screw my health. Like just give me more foie gras. So, uh, yeah, the OP de Cochon cookbook. Yep. That's it. It's on the list. <laughs> I can appreciate uh, utilizing the whole animal, though there are parts of animals that I I don't eat, but um, I can appreciate that for sure. So great, great book there. All right. So for me, my next one is called Perfectly. uh, Wait, hold on. That's not the that's not the title. It's called (laughs) it's called Imperfection by Janice Wong. but I love this because it's basically perfectly imperfect. And that's recently kind of what I've I've come to realize that my style is, is perfectly imperfect. Uh, so I am very, very drawn to this book. And I love the binding of it. It's like almost raw, a raw edge binding. The front cover is actually torn and crumpled. And it's beautiful. I have one of the first editions of it. Um, It's a beautiful, beautiful book. So Janice Wong, she also has 2AM Dessert Bar. Um, I feel like it's not here. I can't remember where it is off the top of my head. But this kind of is very similar to the Elizabeth Faulkner book, but more modern. So this is a very modern take on plating, but she kind of utilizes colors and flavors. So she has desserts that are called like purple, for instance, and it's got Uh like purple potato puree, a cassis sauce, lavender marshmallows, um, cassis parfait, and a fruit of the forest sorbet. So everything is these purples and pinks and blues, and but still flavors that go together. So kind of utilizing the visual aspect of plating and being inspired by her flavors. Also her technique. She does a lot of um, more modern style techniques in here, but the book is beautiful and I really relate to her philosophy on everything, just not stressing out about everything having to be exactly perfect and, and geometric and clean. And for me, if something falls on the plate, it's like, all right, that's where it goes. That's where it wanted to be. I don't really stress about it. I might brush it in a little closer, but I don't like get out the wipes and tweezers and pull it off and try to make it like super perfect because that's just, for me, that's not a stressor that I just personally don't need. So I love this book for the philosophy of having it like embracing the imperfection and the not perfect about food. So this is this is such an amazing book, and I, I actually I, I agree with everything you said. Um, and it's weird because like you know Elizabeth Faulkner, like I don't see her food, and I, I and think Jamie Schick, but I see this book you just mentioned, like perfection and in, in, in imperfection, and even the cover, like the image on the cover of the book. It, mm-hmm. 
makes me think of the food that you create. So, uh, and, and, and you very much do live by this sort of philosophy of like never letting perfection be the enemy of good is, you know, again, don't, you're not removing things with tweezers. You're letting it fall and, and letting the organics of, of sort of that natural plating happening. And I think that this book, you know, again, we've only done two on your side, but I think that this one is truly like, I think of you when I think of this book, because I think it, the yeah. plating style is very similar is the wrong word. Cause it may kind of like discredits a little bit, but it's very, you, you both there's influence taken. Right. Clearly. Right. For sure. And I think that that's something that comes through in your own cooking, which is great. Well, thanks. I, I, you know, it's something that you just learn by, by being in the industry. Like when you have to put out like 30 plates in a really short amount of time, you can't worry about where each crumble falls. And it took me, it took me a long time to get there when I was early in my career. Of course, I wanted everything to be perfect. And as I kind of went on and kind of let go of that, things just became, like you said, more natural and organic. And Mm -hmm. I just kind of adopted that into my into my into my style and I, I do think that comes across so I appreciate I appreciate you saying that okay so right, my so yeah what's my next for mi- you my middle book is a huge like I'm like going into like the stratosphere with this but you know I, I think that it's something it's very recent it, to me I guess you know in my recent to me I mean in the last couple of years uh, the two books that are coming after this are a little bit older and and things that are more a little are more mainstream but this book I think and, you know, I need to preface this with, you know, this book is not reflective of what I eat on a daily basis, um, <laughs> nor what I want to eat on a daily basis. But I think that it, it, it is a testament to where we should be thinking as cooks. And, you know, I, I, I've done some, some recent speaking on this and I've done some, some cooking demos on this. And, you know, I don't really like the idea of being labeled by this, but I think that it is something that um, we need to be aware of when we talk about like our food system and, 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 and what's available and the resources that go into it and really, um, you know, what we should be doing, thinking about the growing population. And more importantly, from a flavor standpoint, I think that as cooks, we constantly need to push, you know, what is our understanding of what is delicious and, uh, you know, that can take us to pretty weird places and, and a lot of things that maybe are taboo or, or, or culturally important to some people, but maybe, you know, in, in, instill this level of disgust in others. And I think that, you know, I, I, there's a book and it was put up by the Nordic Food Lab and it's called On Eating Insects. And I don't, I don't, um, you know, go into my backyard and, 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 and forage for, for ants, but I, I, I'm not naive, and I think that, you know, we need to understand that, you know, there are a lot of cultures in the world that, that do um, implement insects into their into their cuisine, and, 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 right. and for good reason, because they can be delicious. I think it's a very westernized uh, approach that, you know, bugs are disgusting. And yes, I would tell you, if you put a uh, live beetle on, on a plate, like, or a roach or something, like, I'm going to have a very hard time getting on board with that because I think that I've been trained. My brain has been trained over years of, you know, let alone culinary school and and cooking in restaurants in the U S and also just my own upbringing, you know, in New Hampshire, um, that, you know, we have a very specific way that we eat, especially in New England. And I think that books like this, and there's others like eat grub. And I, I think that there's books that 
are designed not necessarily to be like, oh, you should be doing this, but hey, like open your mind and think about what other people might do and what potential is, is lying out there for not only uh, a more sustainable food system, but also, you know, a more deliciousness. Cause like there are some bugs that are friggin' delicious and I, I I've been surprised and even something that's super approachable, like just like fried grasshoppers on tacos is like amazing. Yeah. I, I have, I have had a, I think it was a grasshopper like bread or something that I had. Or cricket flour, yeah. I mean, it's they're definitely it's cricket. Yep. But I mean, and it's not it's not really who I am as a cook. Although <laughs> I'm, I'm always interested in it because I'm thinking like, what are we leaving on the table, or what are we not focusing on that maybe we should, you know? And I, and I go back to some of those crazy, you know, images of like you know live ants crawling on your spoon. Like again, like there's a line where you know you need to bridge into this somehow. You need to approach this in a very, you know, sort of cautious way as to not set yourself backwards but like you know again fried grasshoppers on tacos you know with a little bit of like tagine or chili salt like those are really good ways to sort of get into this and to sort of open up your mind into like you know what could potentially be lying out there for you so i put it in the middle because i don't want to like i kind of want to hide it but i also want to make sure that it gets acknowledgement in some way yeah that's that's a really interesting, <laughs> really interesting choice. <laughs> but I think you're right. I I do know that like the whole bug movement has kind of gained some traction in the last couple of years, and I definitely saw it at a conference. Um, in in the last probably year or two, I've seen more people utilize them and in, in in conferences and in presentations and on the sweet and savory side. So. Um, definitely interesting, but I think something to make people aware of. And honestly, when you say bugs, I kind of think like, and I know these aren't bugs, but I think of like lobster and prawns are are like, those are bugs. Yes. They're sea bugs. Right. So it's not, it's not really that far of a jump. You're right. It isn't. But like, for some reason, like when you cook lobster, it's bright and it's red and it's sexy. And like, yes, butter, (laughs) butter makes everything taste better, but you know, I just think that, like, if you're, like, adventurous enough to suck the head of a crawfish, like, and, like, basically you're just sucking out the brains of that crawfish, like, yeah, but you're not willing to eat an ant, I think you need to open your <laughs> mind a little bit, maybe, I don't know, like, I just, I just think that, you know, we, we should be a little bit more open as, as cooks, because, you know, eventually we're going to run into challenges with the resources that we are used to, because there are so many people in the world demanding so many things, and... That could be maybe switching to again some maybe some insects or or maybe taking a more plant centric approach, which is something we talked about in another episode. But there's ways to get your protein in in in, in more creative ways, rather too. All right. So my next book is actually going to be uh, by Antonio Bachor. He has two plated dessert books. One is called Simply Beautiful, and one is just called Bachor. And I know that he's all over Instagram, and he's all over Facebook, and he's all over everywhere. Um, he's really grown in his like chef celebrity kind of title. But these two books, if you can find, if you can find them are really beautiful. They, the pictures, if you, so one thing is I also really like food that's food. And these, these two books, they're beautiful. The plates are absolutely gorgeous, but if you pull all the flowers back off of it, it's still food underneath. And 
food that's food and plated beautifully is something that's very inspiring to me. It's not heavily manipulated and uh, lots of different changes of textures that aren't natural, where I think some of that modern and molecular stuff is a nice accent. I don't think it should be the focus. And this book focuses on real food, just plated super beautiful. Um, It's got some really nice flavor combinations in there, very classic flavor combinations. Uh, And it's it's just something that I think is super, super inspiring. All of the flowers and all of that kind of give me a nod to like the Michelle Bra um, mm-hmm. like era, but in a more pastry focused way. So both of his books are super great. And obviously, if you follow him on Instagram or any social media, he's always sharing plates and recipes and more information. And I will say that some of the recipes um, do need a little bit of tweaking. Uh, there is some misprints in his first book, Bachore. Uh, so some of those recipes don't exactly line up. But if you use it simply for inspiration in visual plating, I highly, highly recommend those two books. Yeah, and, and I think that you hit on an important note with simplicity. You can make anything look great with some you know, edible garnishes or microgreens. I mean, but at the end of the day, what's underneath needs to taste good. And I think that this book... Yes. Um, you know, definitely gives you both angles, which I appreciate. Yeah, and that's that's a great point too. Like for me, obviously we eat with our eyes first and things should look appetizing, but it's so much more important about the, like the flavor that that's why I'm going to keep going back. That's why I'm going to order it again. That's why I'm going to continue to take bites and clean my plate. But if it looks beautiful and doesn't taste great, then I'm going to be done after one bite. I'll probably won't be back for it. It's not going to be memorable. So for me, it really is all about flavor first. And in a couple of books, I do have some flavor resources because you talked about flavor already. Oh, um, yeah. As well, and how important that is. So I do have some honorable mention flavor pairing books oh, wow. coming up, but I digress. So why don't you take us to your, your next okay, so, book? So no more bugs. We're, we're, we're leaving... Uh, what people would think of as bugs, but like, again, we, we probably still might get the lobster. Um, but a, a book that I'm going to talk about is, and, and this is an older book, probably, you know, 2008, 10, somewhere around that line. I'm not exactly sure, but um, it's April Bloomfield, a girl and her pig. I think that it yes. is one of the most approachable books that it doesn't matter if you're a seasoned cook or someone who's just getting started, like everything in this book is is approachable it's it's well laid out step-by-step instructions and it all works it's all delicious and you know i i just you know it goes back to like i I'm, i have an affinity for this chef not only because you know the nudie at the restaurant you know was, was probably you know top 10 best things i put in my mind it was just amazing flavor uh, so I've always loved what she's done, but when I got this book, I, I find myself going back and back and back to it all the time because yes, the recipes work and they're super flavorful and they're very simplistic and it combines ingredients that, you know, a lot of times people would might not necessarily combine and they're not really out there, but it's just like, you know, baked eggs with anchovies and cream, like all of those things we use mm. on a daily basis. And I know anchovies are a little bit, questionable for some people but like you know if anchovy butter on an english muffin in the morning is freaking delicious and when you well, they're combine giving it, you that they're giving you that umami 
Yeah, and a little bit of saltiness too. And it's it's like get over the fact that it's yeah fish. I understand that, but it, it's delicious. And when you use it in the right way, it builds huge levels of flavor. So, um, you know, this book just is something that I will still reference, whether I want nice cumin carrots or a, a beautiful stewed tomato dish. I mean, I go to it over and over and over again, just as like, hey, what are we doing for the week? Meal planning. I want some good ideas. Like I go to this book, April Bloomfield, A Girl and Her Pig, um, you know, it has recipes. It also has some cool stories to go along with it. And uh, it, it's, it's a must have for any cook. Yeah, I've been to one of her restaurants as well, and I I agree. I think I think she's great. I think her yeah. food is delicious. I think it's again going back to like a more simplistic approach to things, but keeping things super super delicious. And you know, maybe that slight nod to a little bit of an unusual ingredient, but um, but yeah, I I totally agree. I think I think she's great. And she goes, she breaks animals down whole, uh, you know, uh, nose to tail. She's doing the whole, you know, whole total utilization, which I think is amazing. And, you know, also just anyone who puts a burger with blue cheese on their menu, in my eyes, wins because I love those two ingredients combined. And I know it's something that's overdone, but, you know, she won in my heart for doing that. <laughs> All right. What do you got? Number Is this number two for you? Uh, I don't know. Like I said, they're not really in order. So how many yes, books do you think- have left? This one, one more, and then my honorable mentions. This one, one more. So then after you, I have one more, and then my honorable mentions. All right, good. Okay. Sure. I have like 17 books in front of me, so I'm trying to, I'm losing track here. I mean, I have quite a few too, and I keep walking over to my bookshelf to pull them out and wonder if I'm going to make a last minute change, but I feel like I want to stick to my list because this is pretty good. So next for me is called Liquor Land, and it's by Jason Liquor, and... This is a, these are like Asian inspired kind of desserts, but these are desserts, they're entremets, they're petit gâteaux with that nod to the Asian influence, but beautifully constructed and plated. And he really has an emphasis on flavor and texture, which we know is so important in a plated dessert or in food in general. Um, he step-by-step walks you through all of the recipes. The pictures in here are beautiful. Again, another great resource for flavor combinations. He's utilizing things like yuzu, black sesame, lemongrass, more of like that Asian influence. Um, miso is in here. And at the beginning, he really does talk a lot about flavor and uh, your your taste buds and why certain flavors work with others. So it's a great resource in that aspect as well. And then he does um, get into some plated desserts, a little bit of molecular uh, gastronomy in here. Not a lot, but enough where he's making some like vanilla udon noodles um, that are set with like agar and gelatin to kind of take a little bit different spin on things, make things, I don't know, more interesting, more textural. So I think this is a great book. It's fairly new-ish. I only got it in the last couple of the last couple of years, but he's also another great person to follow on social media. He's always posting pictures. He's really inspiring. So Liquorland by Jason Liquor for an Asian influenced dessert book. Hearing the title, you would not think it's about desserts, but I really um you know, I think it's a good choice because I think that he does bridge a little bit into the molecular element, which I think that, you know, he establishes solid flavor, but then he takes it just a little bit to the next level, which I think is really important. Yeah. So that's kind of like, I, 
as you know, really love like that savory sweet element where you're bringing in like an unexpected flavor. And that's what he does in this book. He'll still have something really solid like chocolate that we're all comfortable and familiar with, but then he'll bring in the element of miso for a little bit of salty, a little bit of umami, um, a little bit of like that that unexpected, but keeping it really rooted in approachable flavors, having, you know, black sesame with coconut and raspberry makes it a little bit more approachable than just having it be black sesame with yuzu and lemongrass and green tea and like all of these Asian flavors. So he's taking just one thing, bringing in a little bit of an unexpected flavor, but still making it approachable. And I, I think that's the perfect way, the perfect way to do it. Could not agree more. All right, my top book, and I'm going to move this along. So we are on the, uh, the time track. That, well, we're already over time, but either way, whatever. Um, so this book is a cookbook from a, a restaurant in Portland, Oregon. And I always told my wife that I, if I could I love, I love Portland. And if I could live in any place that, you know, would facilitate my job, you know, I, I, could, I could definitely live in either t- uh, city called Portland, either Portland, Maine, or Portland, Oregon, which I think both have – Friggin' amazing food scenes. Um, this book is like probably one of the best representations of the way that I cook. Uh, it's it's homey. It's simplistic. It, it uses uh, unique ingredients that maybe are oftentimes discarded because they're considered undesirable. It's also a restaurant that I would eat at every day of the week. Probably not uh, at the advice of my doctor, but still a little bit more uh, health conscious than Opita Cushon. Um, and it's also just one of my favorite meals that I've, I've had. It's on my, it's on my list as far as just one of the better ones in the U S and it's a uh, Le Pigeon by Gabriel Rucker. And mm-hmm. I think that, you know, his approach to not know, you know, he's not going out and doing weird stuff, but he's also, you know, he's celebrating what is available in his, in his local area, whether that's digging clams, uh, you know, razor clams locally and then putting them on the menu, even in some sort of classic fashion, like just like just frying them with a little bit of hot sauce, which is like sort of this classic combination, but then taking local ingredients and elevating them or, or sort of implanting them into these sort of, you know, traditional flavor profiles. Um, one of the best recipes in this book, and it's something that I encourage everyone do because um, I think there's, there's misconception about how to use, or there's not misconception, there's uh, a lack of information about how to use this ingredient, is uh, he takes celery root and, sh- and cuts it probably, I don't know, like quarter inch, half inch slices, and then he'll mm-hmm. grill that barbecue style and eat it, and it's fantastic. And, you know, celery root has like this sort of like, oh, what do you do with it? You roast it or do you put it in mashed potatoes? I mean, there's, there's becoming more and more uh, exploration with that ingredient, but he does a very simple way, but also elevates it, which I think is fantastic. So uh, Le Pigeon by Gabriel Rucker. Uh, if you're ever in Portland, I mean, you have to check it out. Um, yeah. I mean, just the name of the book, Cooking at the Dirty Bird. I, I just, I, I love it. I love it. And I love, I love the cover too, because it's a, kind of that nod to where you see like a pig or a cat that's broken down by parts, even though it, the pigeon isn't broken down by parts, it kind of feels that way, the way that the artwork is on the cover. Yeah, there's actually some great artwork, artwork in this, uh, in this book as well. So, um, all right, what's your top book? Okay, again, not in order, but my last book is, and I talked about this in our last episode, just super slightly, so I wanted to give it another shout out because I do really love it, is called The Elements of Dessert by Francisco Magoya. I'm mm-hmm. a huge fan of all of his books. He has four, I think, 
Um, and I love them all. They are all so informative and educational and all the recipes are solid. Like love, love, love him. I took a class with him. He's amazing. But this book is all about desserts. This one, um, he takes a very simplistic approach to plated desserts. There's also a few um, cakes in here as well. Um, but yeah, this one, it just goes a little bit further. It's definitely got some more molecular and modern techniques in it. But again, it's a solid book, solid recipes. You can mix and match a lot of the different components to kind of make your own, but it's a good base to turn to for a recipe or for some inspiration. There's a lot of things that are very uh, classic in here as well. So just a beautiful, beautiful book. Again, it has everything from entremets to plated desserts to some things that are a little bit more like a, a muse. But yeah, love love this book, love all of his books, but this one is very specific to plated desserts. And again, more of that molecular modern nod. And as much as you said, that wasn't your top book, I'm still classifying it as your top book. So you can't get out of that. Um, all right. So honorable mentions. Yes, I have, I have one uh, and then I'll let you go and then we can wrap this up. But I think that this book, you know, we talk about people that inspire us and you know, this chef is not He's extremely well known, but I feel, I kind of feel like he's not as well known as he should. Like somehow he's sort of hot, like he sneaks into like the shadows and, and doesn't get caught up in sort of like the, like the, the bad parts of being sort of like one of those celebrity uh, personalities. But I do think he's very well known, but I don't think enough people celebrate like the work he's done and the influence he's had. And he has a couple books, but you know, the one that's in front of me right now is A Great American Cook by Jonathan Waxman. And I, you know, oh, yeah. I think that, you know, as far as an influence, um, you know, approachable, seasonal, just doing things in a very, very simplistic, but freaking delicious way. I think he already always has been sort of at the forefront of that. And, you know, his restaurant jams in the 80s and, and the 90s and today still is it's, it's been an institution in New York. And I'm so upset that I never got to go to Barbudo, which unfortunately just closed. But you know, it's, it's one of those books that, you know, if I need dinner for the family and I know, want something that's going to be simple, delicious, and approachable, um, he makes it look easy. And his recipes are very easy, but he's extremely talented. So, again, not sure. I, I don't know. Like, I feel like he sneaks under the radar, but he's also one of the you know biggest influences in my life as a cook and someone I've mm -hmm. sort of admired grow, uh, coming up in the industry. So, uh, yeah, huge Jonathan Waxman fan. Awesome. So my honorable mention is a category, which is going to be flavor pairing. So we talked a lot about that, how important flavor really is. So I have three quick little shout outs for flavor pairing books. One that I use in my class and I recommend everyone is the Flavor Bible um, by Andrew Dorenberg and Karen Page. It's been around for a while. It's a great beginner resource to pairing sweet and savory flavors. So Flavor Bible the next one would be The Flavor Matrix uh, by James Brichion. I just butchered his name. I'm sorry. Uh, but The Flavor Matrix, um, this is all about the art and science of pairing ingredients and, again, both for sweet and savory. So Flavor Matrix. And my third one would be The Flavor Thesaurus by Nikki Segnet. Again, both for sweet and savory, but a really great uh, resource for flavor pairing ideas. Yeah, I, I think that the Flavor Bible 
I, I can support that decision 100%. That could be definitely be on any list. And I think if you look into Karen Page um, in general, she has some awesome books uh, out there. And I think that most of her work is, is really, really fantastic. So if you're looking for someone just to kind of get behind, I look into her work. All right. Well, I think that that's it. We're, uh, we quickly exhausted a good chunk of time talking about our favorite cookbooks, but like, let's have you guys reach out to us and, uh, tell us what you're interested in. You know, I want you to hear what your cookbooks are, what, what you go to, what your go-tos are. And, uh, you know, maybe we can come up with some great content for, for future episodes. Yeah, that's a great idea. Please share with us what your favorites are. We can put together a nice big list for people to reference. So before we do go, we want to give a shout out to Matt Burns for providing us with all of our music. You can find us on all social media at Culinary Now Podcast. And we'd love you to feel you to send us some questions or notes via email at culinarynowpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, don't forget to hit the subscribe button and leave us a review. We really appreciate your feedback. We will talk to you soon. We're the brave of the boat. And we out.